Sir Charles, or my personal favorite, the Round Mound of Rebound. It's a great nickname. Uh, Nick Young. Anyone know Nick Young? It's more recent. Swaggy P. You don't know Swaggy P? All right. It, it's a ridiculous nickname. Uh, but my favorite nickname story is from a friend in high school. His name was Philip, and his nickname in high school was Sugar Pants. All right? And a lot of nicknames have backstories, so allow me to tell you the Sugar Pants story. Okay? We were at uh, Hidden Acres, which is where I work now. We were there in junior high for a retreat, and we were all hanging out. Philip was a little bit of a ladies' man. At least he tried to be. And so we were encouraging Philip as junior high boys to use one of his famous pickup lines on a junior high girl that was at the retreat. And so please don't do this. This is a terrible idea. But what we did was we encouraged him to take a sugar packet. It says sugar across it. And we told him, Philip, take this to a girl and tell her you dropped your name tag. All right, again, don't do it. It has a 0% success rate. But we wanted Philip to do it because we thought it would be hilarious and because we thought it might actually work. Again, we were junior high boys. So we said, Philip, you got to go to this girl, tell her she dropped her name tag. He was a little bit of a chicken, didn't want to do it. And so we were encouraging him and threatening him a little bit. And someone at our table said, Philip, if you don't do this, I will pour this sugar down your pants. And right at that moment, someone else was walking by our table in the dining hall at camp and said, did you just call him sugar pants? And from that moment on in seventh grade, Philip was known as sugar pants. It's been through high school, through college, past college, I still call him sugar pants to this day. Now tonight we're going to look at a, a story of a disciple who has a nickname, and it's not sugar pants, but it is a really cool nickname. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Mark 3, starting in verse 13, says this, And he, this Jesus, went up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he called apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boenerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Tonight we're going to look at this man named James, the disciple James, who was given the nickname Boenerges or Sons of Thunder. And you've been going through this, this series called Squad Goals where you're looking at different disciples. And tonight we're going to look at James, the Son of Thunder. Now, that's a sweet nickname. It's not quite sugar pants, but Sons of Thunder is an awesome nickname for Jesus to give James. James is the brother of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John and the books of uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. Uh, and the James we're looking at tonight is the son of Zebedee. There's another disciple who is the son of Alphaeus. And this, the James we're looking at tonight is also known as James the Greater, and the other one is known as James the Lesser, and that has more to do with their age. It's really James the Older and James the Younger. It's not that he was a greater disciple. Uh, the James that we're looking at tonight is also not the one who wrote the book of James, which was most likely Jesus' brother James. So what do we know about this James other than his awesome nickname, Sons of Thunder? We know that he was a fisherman. When Jesus first called him and his brother in Mark chapter 1, they were mending their nets in their boat with their father Zebedee and his hired servants. We know that James was in the inner circle of Jesus. So Peter, James, and John were three disciples that are often mentioned uh, alone with Jesus without the other disciples. 
In Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises a girl from the dead, and he doesn't let anyone come into the room except for Peter, James, and John. In Matthew 17, Jesus brings the three of them to the side of a mountain where we have this incredible story of the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah on the side of the mountain. In Matthew 28, on the night that he's betrayed, Jesus takes all the disciples with him to the garden, but only takes Peter, James, and John with him to pray. For some reason, Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to see and experience him in a way that was different from even the other disciples. But let's get back to this nickname, Sons of Thunder. I want to look at two stories tonight that show this idea that James's life was characterized by being bold, being passionate, and sometimes being angry. And the question that we're going to answer tonight is this, how can we live for Christ in light of James's story? And I want to talk about three characteristics that we can take from James's life, boldness, grace, and humility. We see James display boldness, but lack grace and humility. So how do we live for Christ in light of James's story? Well, first, we should live boldly with grace. Turn to Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, starting in verse 51. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. If you got it, say, I got it. If you're still looking, say, still looking. All right, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So this is Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem for his final Passover and ultimately his death. And he sends people ahead of him to get things ready for him, to get uh, the hotels reserved, to get things figured out in the, the village that he's going to stay in. And Jesus and his disciples are going from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem in the south, and they're going to pass through Samaria on the way. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, you may know this, but they didn't like each other. And typically, if a Jew was going from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem in the south, they would go way out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. We've seen Jesus throughout his life and his ministry, how he doesn't follow the, the norms of society. And in John chapter 4, we see Jesus actually traveling through Samaria and speaking with a Samaritan woman at the well. And so again, Jesus is going to go through Samaria uh, down to Jerusalem. And so he sends people ahead to get things figured out. And verse 53 says this, But the people in Samaria did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The Samaritan people didn't receive him. They didn't welcome him or allow him to stay in their village. Although Jesus had never done anything wrong against the Samaritans, they apparently had such contempt for the Jews that they didn't even want Jesus to spend a night in their town. It wasn't that they didn't have room for him. It was that they were being intentionally inhospitable. And so James and John, the sons of thunder, did not appreciate that. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? There is a bold reaction right there. The Samaritans don't let them stay in their village. So James and John, their immediate question is, can we send fire from heaven? Pastor John MacArthur notes that the tone of their question is one of arrogance. They, they want to know, can we send down fire? When really Jesus was the only one that even could have sent down fire, James and John were suggesting that Jesus should give them power to call down fire on this village. Verse 55 says, But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus responds to James's boldness with grace. 
He doesn't burn down a village for rejecting him. He shows grace, and he simply moves on to another village. So what does that look like in our lives? How do we live boldly with grace? I don't know about you, but I have never thought, God, will you please send down fire on these people? Uh, Again, I don't know your life. Maybe you've done that. I have not. Uh, But I think we can have the same attitude when we interact or relate with people who don't agree with us or who don't do what we want them to do. I'm not going to get too political tonight. Uh, We can do that after if you want. Um, But I think there are a lot of people today who are bold and passionate about what they believe and are bold in speaking that, but they don't show grace in the way that they do it. It's possible to be passionate about what you believe, to stand up for truth, and to show grace with those who disagree with you. We should live boldly with grace. The second story I want to look at is another example of James being bold, but this time it's James being bold and prideful. So how do we live for Christ in light of this story of James? We should live boldly with humility. Turn back to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Starting in verse 35. If you got it, say, I got it. Man, you guys are fast. All right. Uh, Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. There is a bold request right there. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. So James and John come up to Jesus with this bold request. They want to sit at his right and his left hand in heaven. Now Jesus has already promised to the disciples that they would sit on thrones in heaven, and James and John want to make sure that they have the best seats in the house. They want to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus. Now it's not just that they liked talking to Jesus and wanted to be close to him. Uh, They wanted the power and the glory that came with being close to Jesus. They probably figured we're already part of uh, Jesus' inner circle. We've seen things that the other disciples haven't. Why shouldn't we be the most prominent disciples in heaven? Verse 38, Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him boldly, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So James and John want to sit at the right and the left of Jesus, and Jesus tells them, You have no idea what you're asking for, and besides, it's not even up to me who sits there. Now the other disciples hear about this question and this conversation, and as you can imagine, they're not happy with James and John. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." So Jesus calls his disciples together and he reminds them of the truth that as believers they should be servants first. That even he, Jesus, came to earth not to be served, but to serve other people. We should live boldly with humility. So what does that look like in our lives? It looks like uh, looking for opportunities to serve those around you. Whether that's here at church or youth group, at school or at home, if you are living boldly with humility, you're going to look to serve other people, putting their needs ahead of your own. 
When James and John have this conversation with Jesus, Jesus promises that they will suffer for their faith. They will drink the cup and be baptized with the same baptism of Jesus. And the end of the story of James is found in Acts 12. You can flip there if you want. Acts 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This is actually the first time that James's name appears alone in the New Testament without another disciple. He's the first apostle to be martyred for his faith and is the only disciple other than Judas to have his death recorded in the New Testament. And while there aren't too many details given about his death, we can assume that James was still the same bold, passionate man as when Jesus was on earth. The fact that the king wanted to stop the spread of the gospel and personally killed James shows that James was obviously a bold witness for the proclamation of the gospel. In the life of James, we see an imperfect example of a man who lived a bold life without grace and humility at times. We can learn from those mistakes that are recorded in scripture and we can see how Jesus corrected and taught him in those moments. Because the perfect example of a bold faith marked by grace and humility isn't found in James, it's found in Christ. Jesus taught with boldness regardless of the consequences. He told the religious leaders on multiple occasions that they were completely missing the mark. He called people out for sins. He made a whip and drove people out of the temple and he boldly and willingly went to the cross to die. In Mark 10, after James and Jesus ask their bold request, Jesus reminds them that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son of God and God himself, came down to earth humbly to serve other people and graciously to give his life for those who didn't deserve it. His death and resurrection allow us to enter into a relationship with him and receive the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be bold and gracious and humble. So tonight, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, you won't be able to muster up enough energy on your own to be bold or gracious or humble like Christ calls you to. If you haven't accepted Christ, talk to your leader tonight about doing that. But if you are a believer, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you to be bold and to be gracious and to be humble. So of the three qualities that we discussed tonight, which one do you need to work on? Your answer will probably depend a lot on your personality. Some people are naturally more bold or more outgoing, while others may be naturally more humble or gracious. And that's fine. James was a bold man just naturally. But your personality should never be an excuse for not growing in your faith. Jesus doesn't want to get rid of your personality, but he does want to sanctify it. He wants you to become more like him. He didn't tell James to stop being bold or passionate, but he helped James use that boldness and passion in the correct ways. So maybe for you, you're thinking, I'm nothing like James. I'm, there's nothing bold about me. Maybe for you, that's what you need to work on. Do people know that you're a Christian? Are you bold enough to tell your friends or your family that you're a believer? In your small groups tonight, discuss one bold thing that you can do in your faith this week. Maybe for you, you need to show more grace. When someone disagrees with you or rejects you, is your first thought like James, wishing you could send down fire from heaven? Do you give up on people when they don't want anything to do with Jesus? Do you come down harshly on those who oppose or disagree with you? In your small group tonight, discuss one way that you can show grace to others this week. Maybe for you, it's that you need to show more humility. Have you grown up in the church and you assume that you know everything there is to know about Christianity? 
Do you look down on others who aren't as good of Christians as you? Do you find yourself judging others and being prideful with your own accomplishments? In your small group tonight, discuss one way that you can show more humility this week. You may never have a cool nickname. I'm sorry, I hope you do. If you want one, I can give you one afterwards. I'm just kidding, I won't. Uh, But if you've put your faith in Christ, you're a child of God and your name is written in the book of life. And because of that, you can live a life that's marked by boldness and grace and humility. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the example of your disciples and how we can look at them and see uh, the lives that they lived and be inspired by how they followed you and made their faith their own. But Father, we can also see the mistakes they made and we can learn from that. Father, help us this week to be bold in our faith. Help us to tell other people that we love you. Help us to be gracious as we interact with others. Help us to be humble as we look to serve others. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do that. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.